Uh, well, hey, it is so good to have you at our 10 a.m. EV free service. My name is Austin Helm, one of the teaching and venue pastors here. I want to welcome you. Um, and so are, are the Santa Ana winds messing with anybody else in here? Or is, I mean, this has been wild. My voice has been in this raspy range for about two or three weeks. It's been crazy. Um, but thankfully, someone came up and gave me a cough drop after service one. So I think I'm going to be all right. Uh, well, hey, turn your Bibles to Luke uh, chapter 10. We are continuing our study in the book of Luke. Um, and, and as you flip there, um, we are so excited about our new service time. So we get the 8.30, the 10, the 11.30, and uh, the, the classic over there at 8.30 and 10 as well. In addition to those service times, um, I teach every week at our 5 p.m. service, which is in the commons. And there's a few great reasons to come to the 5 p.m. Um, I had a, a couple come to me one time. Um, they're, they're seasoned in their years. And they, they told me, uh, hey, we're so glad we have a 5 p.m. service. This is the wife talking to me. She said, my husband loves to surf. Um, and so as soon as you guys open the 5 p.m., he's like, baby, we're going to that one. Because uh, he goes out every Sunday morning and surfs. Uh, in addition, we have a lot of college and young adult students who are just saying, I just love to sleep in. So it's great sleeping in, coming to the 5 p.m. Uh, so not only is the 5 p.m. convenient for people, uh, but what we have found over the years is that it's a highly missional service as well. Um, this, the story I'm about to tell actually happens almost every week. Um, it was after service and this lady came up to me and, uh, if you're ever in the plaza in the mornings during service, you can actually hear like the sermon and the worship as it's coming out the speakers. Uh, same is true at 5 PM. And she came up to me and said, Hey, I was walking home from work and, and I heard the worship coming through the speakers. She just lives right across the street. And it's the first time that I'd heard it. And so I walked over and I came inside and, uh, I was just so blessed and I was so thankful that you guys had a 5 p.m. service you see I work every Sunday morning and I'd like to go to church uh, with my mom and her mom's um, quite a bit older than she is this was a lady in her probably 30s or 40s and uh, she said I'm I'm so glad you guys have an evening service because now I have a service that I can bring my family to because I can't make it on Sunday mornings Uh, And so it's not only convenient for people, but it's a highly missional service. And so if you're ever thinking, man, maybe looking for a different service or different venue, would love to have you out at the 5 p.m. over in the commons. With that being said, let's begin to read in Luke chapter 10. This is the sending of the 72. Today we want to talk about what does it mean to be a church that is sent What does it mean to be disciples that are sent? Why does Jesus send? And how is it actually connected to his image? How is it actually connected to the very DNA and the very fabric of God? So this is Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, listen, the harvest is plentiful. But the workers, they're few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go! I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't take a purse. Don't take a bag. Don't take sandals. Don't even greet anyone on the road. Instead, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. But stay there, 
eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. And, and don't move from house to house once you enter that house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. What an awesome thing. Verse 10, but when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, 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 no. You will go down to Hades. You see, whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me, but whoever rejects me rejects him who actually sent me. Then the 72 returned, and they returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Jesus responds, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority, authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. What a cool deal. Verse 20. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father. Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, but you've actually revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal himself. Verse 23 Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and many kings wanted to see what you see but did not see it. And to hear what you hear but did not hear it. Being sent is deeply connected to the DNA of God. So in this passage, Jesus embodies this mission and this vision of God by sending out the 72. But before we can actually understand what this means, we want to go back to when the mission began. So turn to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. We're going to journey through quite a few passages and just see how the early writers, the prophets, the gospel writers, uh, and the letters talk about the mission of God. So this is Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now I have to admit to you, I'm not much 
of the handyman. When it comes to fixing things in my house or fixing my car, I love to make telephone calls to other people. Literally, a light bulb might go out in my bathroom. I'll say, well, time to call the landlord. Someone's got to come do it. Like, I, I'm just not gifted at it. And so I was actually talking in service number one. And I said, you see, w- when you open the trunk of a car and look inside at the engine and the carburetor and all the, all the oil stuff, I don't even like get it. The guy came up to me after and said, the engine isn't under the trunk. It's under the hood. I said, my point proved, good sir. <laughs> and, so, and, so, and so I met my match. I was, I was eating uh, dinner with a family from the church. And uh, they have three awesome kids. And ended up going into one of the kids' rooms. And we were all in there. And I, and I looked at one of my worst nightmares. It was a giant box of disconnected Legos. I am horrible with Legos. The idea of trying to put them together in such a way that they function as a car or a building or an airplane completely baffles me. I'm just not wired that way. I mean, if you left me alone for an hour with Legos, you would come back with what looks like some kind of abstract Picasso artwork. I just, I don't know, I just kind of connected them to see what happens. But this kid, this kid was amazing with Legos. I mean, there was this entire box of Legos that were disconnected and all kinds of different colors, no instructions, but he could peek through the box and he could take this piece and that corner and that wheel and that wing, and within 30 minutes, he had like made this airplane. I said, dude, I'm just here to help you. You just tell me what you need and I'll get the pieces for you. And and, and so when that happened, it reminded me, this is a lot like what the picture of Genesis 1 might be. You see, with this kid, he had a giant box of raw materials. He just had all these disconnected Legos that if put together properly and correctly, they, they can function as something awesome. And so a lot of scholars might say that in Genesis 1, that's, that's the same picture. There are all of these raw materials the Lord has. And he begins to put them together and give the earth function. He gives the cosmos order and he gives it purpose. So it says that God created the heavens and the earth. It's like God looking in this disconnected Lego box and taking out pieces and beginning to put them together. It's what God does. God cultivates. But what God didn't do is he didn't take out all the pieces from the Lego box and put it all together so that it all works. Instead, he, he just made a small piece and then he extends it to humanity to continue his work. So turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. It says this, this is about Adam and Eve. It says, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number. And then it says this, fill the earth, subdue the earth. Other translations say, have dominion over the earth, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. You see, if you read through Genesis chapter one, you find that God is dividing the waters and he's dividing the light and he's bringing order and function and he creates this garden. But he doesn't make the entire earth into a garden. He just takes a part of it as the example. And then he calls Adam and Eve. He gathers Adam and Eve together. He says, look, look at this garden. You see how this works? You see how it's been cultivated? You see how it operates and it functions? I want you to go out into the rest of the world and make the rest of the world look like this. So in a sense, God gathers Adam and Eve together and then he sends them out. He scatters them because the mission of God is not to settle in places that are restored, but the mission of God is to go into unrestored places 
and bring restoration. The mission of God is to go into broken places and to bring healing. So in this beginning chapter, he invites Adam and Eve to embody this. He gathers them together and then sends them out to cultivate the whole earth to look like the Garden of Eden. But here's the temptation as human beings. The temptation is not to scatter and to be sent, but instead to gather and to settle. To settle in the places that have already been cultivated instead of going into the places of the unknown. So turn to Genesis chapter 11. We read a familiar story um, with a slight nuance on it that might shed some light on the images. This is Genesis chapter 11 beginning in verse 1. It says, now the whole world had one language. The whole world had a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and they settled there. They stopped being sent. They stopped scattering and they settled in the plain. Verse 3, they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used a brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city. Let us build a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. And this is one of the keys. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Verse 5. But the Lord, the Lord came down to see the city. To see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not be able to understand each other. Verse 8. So the Lord scattered them. Scattered them all over the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Now, if we begin to walk slowly through that, we find that these these people, they gather in a plane. They've been journeying, they've been wandering, they've been sent, they've been scattered, but they stop in the plane and they begin to build a city. Now, if you follow the symbols of Genesis and you have this Garden of Eden and God calls his people to make the uncultivated spots look like the garden, you can imagine that we're talking to farmers, people that are interested in agriculture, people that are shepherds and herders, people that are used to wandering and going into unknown places. But in this spot, the people say, we're tired of being sent. We're tired of scattering. We want to settle. And we're going to trade our skills of farming and herding for skills of building cities. And when you were a farmer and a wanderer, you believed that the presence of God was with you wherever you went. That the presence of God was constantly expanding. But when these people begin to trade in the skills of wandering for the skills of settling, they say, well, let's, let's also build a temple. And this temple will be like the meeting place of heaven and earth. And this way, this way we can kind of localize the presence of God in this city. And the reason for doing this is because if we don't build a city, otherwise we will be scattered over the face of the earth. The ironic part is being scattered is directly connected to their mandate as the people of God. 
You go back to Genesis in the garden. He gathers Adam and Eve and then he scatters them. Go into uncultivated places. Go into unknown places. Go into broken places and begin to put the Legos together. Begin to bring healing. And so when these people say, we don't want to be sent anymore, we don't want to scatter, it's very anti-God in a sense. And so normally when we read this passage and we read about God scattering the people, we read about it as a curse in a sense. But really the idea is that God is empowering them to continue with the mission he's given them. And when God's people continue with his mission, they begin to embody his image. You see, when you begin to cultivate uncultivated places, those are the moments when you're most like God. That's what God does. God goes into uncultivated areas and he creates gardens. And so when we do the same, we begin to reflect his image and to cultivate his image in us. So the text continues on the second half. Verse 8, so the Lord scattered them, scattered them all over the earth and they stopped building the city. So this idea of gathering and scattering several rioters throughout the text begin to catch this vision and this image. One of them is the prophet Isaiah. So let's turn to Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2. You guys with me? Gather and scatter. You know, I'm, I'm actually really sad today. This is one of the first Sundays, I think it's the second Sunday, that I've not been able to legitimately talk about the NFL from the stage. I have no fantasy team. I have no updates, no Super Bowl deal, and nobody watches basketball, so. <laughs> Isaiah, chapter 2, verse 2. says, in the last days... The mountain of the Lord's temple will be established. It will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills. And all of the nations will stream to it. When you talk about all the nations streaming to the mountain, you're talking about all of the nations gathering at this mountain. And then watch this, verse 3. It says, many peoples will come and say, come. Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. You see, there's something beautiful about gathering. There's something very formative about gathering. When we gather in the local church, we learn his ways. We learn to be more like him, but it doesn't end with gathering. And Isaiah gets it. So he says, after the peoples come to the temple, after they come to the mountain to learn his ways, continuing it, it says, then the law will go out from Zion. The word of the Lord from Jerusalem. You see, Isaiah gets it. There is this gathering But gathering is always done in the context of scattering. Going back out into uncultivated, broken places and bringing God's restoration. That's the vision that Isaiah sees. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, he begins to embody that vision. So turn to Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 42. Jesus is in a city and he's begun to do some pretty awesome things. He's raising the dead. He's healing the sick. He's performing many signs and wonders. And the people of the city do what the people in Babel did. They, they wanted Jesus to settle with them, to not continue to, to scatter and be sent, but to stay. Verse 42 says, at daybreak, 
Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving. They tried to get Jesus to stay with them. Verse 43, but Jesus said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. I must proclaim it to the other towns also, not just to this town. That is the reason why I was sent. Verse 44, and Jesus kept on. Jesus kept going. Jesus kept being sent, preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So Jesus is is catching what it's like to be close to the heart of God. To be close to the heart of God is to be sent. It's to be scattered. And so in Luke chapter 9, we have this picture of the disciples that Jesus has gathered. This is Luke 9, verses 1 and 2. It says, when Jesus had called the 12 together, so you see this image of gathering. You've got Jesus and the 12 gathered around him. It says, he gave them power and he gave them authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And then he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So Jesus not only embodies the mission of being sent and scattering to all the towns, but he gathers his disciples and then says, you go out and do the same. But again, it's always the temptation for people that once they've experienced something or once they've found cultivated spaces, their temptation is always to settle in the space. So in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, this is after the resurrection of Jesus and Jesus is about to ascend and he wants to remind his followers, don't settle, but keep going, keep being sent. So this is Matthew 28, verse 16. It says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So that the disciples are gathered on the mountain. And when they saw Jesus, they, they worshiped. Jesus. And some of them doubted. Verse 18. And then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, now that you've been gathered, go, be sent, scatter from this mountain and make disciples of all of the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you until the very end of the age. It is never enough to settle and to stay in one place. Disciples are always sent disciples. They are always scattered disciples. And so after the ascension of Jesus, we find the disciples in Acts Chapter 1, we got a few more passages we're going to flip to and then we're going to settle down. Never settle. I'm, listen, a few of you got it. A few of you got it. <laughs> Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Jesus is talking to the disciples. He says, do not leave Jerusalem. Gather here, stay here. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Then skip down to verse 8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then you'll be sent. You'll scatter. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
You see, what's so interesting about the picture is the picture isn't like four different places on a grid. It's more like concentric circles. It's more if you were looking at a geography, Jerusalem would be a city. And then if you just zoomed out a little bit, you'd find that uh, Jerusalem is in the center of Judea. But then if you zoomed out even further, you'd find that Samaria surrounds Jerusalem and then, or Judea. And then if you zoomed out even further, you'd find all of the nations surrounding Samaria. So Jesus is saying, when, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to be in Jerusalem when it happens, but you're not going to stay in Jerusalem. You're going to be sent. You're going to be scattered. You're going to be my witnesses, and it's going to continue to expand. And so Acts chapter 2 is the beginning of that expansion. It's when the Holy Spirit comes on them. It begins in verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, all of the disciples were gathered together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. It says all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Verse 5. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Now, if you were to speak to some scholars, they, they think this, this event may have been around a time that was around a festival or a gathering. And so all these God-fearing Jews from around all the nations, they've made a pilgrimage back to Jerusalem for a set period of time. And it's when all of the Jews from these nations have journeyed back to Jerusalem that this event happens. Verse 6 says, when all of these, these Jews from the surrounding nations, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together. They gathered together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? And then it goes on and lists all these countries and areas these God-fearing Jews are from. And then at the very end it says, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. It's after this event that the people that have been gathered for this pilgrimage, these nations, they've, they've begun to scatter again. But it wasn't just them. It was designed that the original apostles would scatter from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to all the nations. But after this Holy Spirit event, all of these awesome things begin to happen in Jerusalem. The lame are walking, the sick are being healed, the dead are being raised, people are coming to faith, and it's awesome. But the disciples aren't getting out of Jerusalem. They're not scattering, they're not being sent, and to be a disciple means that you're going to be sent, you're going to scatter. And so we flip to Acts chapter 8. At this point, eight chapters later, and all of these signs and wonders later, the disciples are still in Jerusalem. Beginning in verse 1, it says, And Saul approved of their killing him. Him is Stephen from the previous chapter. It says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered. They were sent. Where were they scattered to? To Judea and Samaria. To all the places that Jesus had talked about. Then skip over to verse 4 of the same chapter. It says, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria. 
and proclaim the Messiah there. Verse 6, when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. When the disciples are scattered, joy follows in its wake. When disciples are sent, joy follows in its wake. It's what happens when God's people scatter to proclaim the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. As we turn back to Luke chapter 10, the passage that we began with, and we have all this context for sending and for scattering. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, sent them out, scattered them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field and go. And go. And go. And be sent. And be scattered. And begin to fulfill the mission of God to restore all things. And so as we're reading this and studying this, we think about the question, what does this say about God? And I think one of the things it might say to us is God is fiercely committed to his mission to restore and make all things new. You see, even when God's people are sent to scatter, like in Genesis 11, and they decide to settle instead, God is so committed to his mission that he's going to go down and he's going to scatter them. For the sake of his good purposes. And then in Acts, when the disciples are supposed to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, but instead they stay in Jerusalem, God is so committed to the mission and the vision of making all things new that he comes down and scatters the disciples. And so as disciples, what does that mean for us? I think one of the things it means is that we shouldn't be surprised when we're sent. We shouldn't be surprised when we're scattered. And instead of being fearful, instead of being worried, we know that, man, when when, when the disciples are sent, when the disciples are scattered, joy comes in its wake. The power of the gospel comes in its wake. And so I think about this, and I think about, so, so what does that mean for the local church? Like, the local church is, it is the most amazing thing on the face of the planet. It's, it's unreal that we are able to gather together to worship and to pray and to be encouraged. But I also think about it like my sister's iRobot. Um, my sister has an iRobot. She got it for Christmas. It's a little cleaning machine. It just roams around your house on its own. And I, I told my parents that I, and like you dust the floor. I told them that I wanted one when the upgrade came for the iRobot to also do my dishes and do my laundry. Um, <laughs> It's right. <laughs> so, so the iRobot, it's really interesting. It has this charging station, and then it's sent out to clean my sister's house. And as it does, it's, it's mapping out the house. But it, it runs on batteries, and here's what the iRobot doesn't do. The iRobot doesn't run 
until it runs out of batteries. And then my sister has to go get it and take it back to the charging station. That would be highly inefficient. So these brilliant creators have designed the iRobot that when it knows it's at a certain battery level, it actually guides itself back to the charging station, recharges, and then is sent back out. Um, I promise you, iRobot didn't pay me for this plug uh, that I'm giving right now. But I think the local church is a lot like that. The local church is this, it's this gathering spot as, as a recharge station. That we come together to pray and to worship. But we always do that as a gathering spot because we're, we're going to be sent. We know that for the next six days we're going to be scattered into our world. And so we gather in the local church. The, the point of this is, is that the local church is not a place that we gather and settle in. It's not a place that we gather and stay in. Instead, it's a place we gather to be recharged, empowered, and encouraged to be scattered throughout our week. You see, I love the idea of being sent. I love the idea of scattering and especially the scope of it. I love that Jesus and God talk about all nations coming to the knowledge of him. That we are sent to all nations. What a cool deal. The interesting thing is I don't feel very all nation-y. I don't feel like I can just pack my bags and go to the nations whenever I want, however I want, with whatever kind of budget I want. Instead, I feel more homey. I feel like my world revolves around my home at State College in your Belinda. And, 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 I, and I feel like that's, that's my space. And so I feel like when I leave the local church, I'm not necessarily being scattered to the nations, although it's beautiful. I'm, in a sense, I'm kind of being scattered into my neighborhood. I'm being scattered amongst my neighbors. And other of us are not just scattered there, but we're scattered into our workplace amongst our coworkers. And for those of us who are in school, we're we're scattered amongst our classmates and our teachers. And there's something about being scattered that's wildly mysterious and beautiful and somehow joy follows in its wake. So as I think about this, I, I keep asking myself the question, Lord, what does it mean to be scattered in my North Orange County world? Who are the people that I need to be scattered around? You see, oftentimes I think we have the temptation of coming together and then going home and just kind of settling in until we get to gather again. They did this study, these churches in Denver, Colorado. They had this this neighboring movement thing they're doing. And they had everyone in their churches draw a tic-tac-toe box. And in the middle box... Uh, they wrote the person's name. Like, they, like, this is my house. This is my name. And they, they, they asked the congregations, okay, the, the eight circles surrounding your square, these represent not just eight people in your world. They actually represent physically like the eight houses or apartments or dorms that might surround yours. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to each box and I want you to write in the names of every person that lives in that household. So if you could do that, you tried to do it. And then once you were done, they said, okay, I want you to go through and I want you to write in one thing that you wouldn't know unless you talk to them. So you can't write in, oh, I know they drive a minivan. It's like, you don't have to talk to them to know that. But where do they work? Are they a lawyer? Are they a teacher? Uh, do their kids play soccer, right? And then if you're able to do that, they wanted you to go around again uh, and, and write in something that you wouldn't know unless you'd spent significant time with them. What are some of their hopes, their aspirations, their dreams, their goals? And they found that when it came to putting in the names of all of the people that surrounded their house, only about 30% of the people could actually put in all the names of the people that surrounded them where they lived. 
And then when it came to, okay, one thing you know about each house that you wouldn't know unless you talked to them, only about 5% of the people could do that for all of the homes surrounding them. And then when it came to one significant thing that you wouldn't know unless you'd spent quality time with them, less than 1% of the people could do that. And so as I'm reading that, I'm, I'm beginning to sense and to feel deeply convicted. That on some level, I, 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 I go to work and, and I gather at church and I gather in community group. And then when I go home, it's like going in and locking myself in my castle. Like I've created this great space just the way I like it except for my roommates. No, I'm kidding. Um, you create this space where you get to rest and just relax and no one gets to invade your space. No one gets to interrupt you. You get to watch your favorite Netflix shows and eat whatever you want and you just kind of get to hunker down until your next gathering time on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening or in a community group. That's my temptation all of the time. And so as I'm reading, what does it mean to be scattered? I think, man, maybe it means that I, I need to be really intentional about getting to know some of the people that are right around me. And I think, about, man, that's, that's a great way for me to be scattered. And then I think about the larger picture. Man, what would that be like if all of us took that seriously and intentionally and not feeling the weight of, well, I can't go overseas, so I can't be sent oh, I can't go to the nations, I can't be scattered. But in a sense, seeing our neighborhood as, man, this is a place that I can be scattered to. And so instead of my family just praying inside, maybe we go on a prayer walk around our neighborhood. And instead of, you know, spending time inside just watching TV, maybe we buy a fire pit and do something outside in our front porch just to be available to neighbors that are coming by. I mean, we have, we have stories like this happening all over our church, and it's absolutely amazing. And so I think the challenge to myself has been, how do I be scattered well? How do I find places and avenues and spaces where I'm not always surrounded by the same people that I gather with? And so I think that's maybe the challenge to all of us. How do we scatter well? How do we get sent well to avoid the trap of gathering and settling because when we gather and settle, inevitably God will come down and scatter us involuntarily if we don't scatter voluntarily. So we want to worship just a little bit longer. And we want to ask the Lord just to come in and say, Holy Spirit, would you teach us? Would you send us? Would you, would you scatter us? Because we know when it happens that joy comes in its wake and we want to be a part of it. So let's pray together. God, we are, uh, we're so challenged by this, uh, this message to be sent and uh, the immense uh, cost and challenge and uncertainty uh, that can come with it. But Lord, we ask you that uh, by the power of your spirit in these moments, as we worship, that you would begin to bring spaces to mind, people to mind, places to mind where we can be sent. Would you help us to feel sent when we walk into our workplace? Would you help us to feel scattered when we walk into our dorms and into our classrooms? Would you help us to be sent when we go home to our neighborhoods and to our families? We want to be a sent people, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.